0: James chapter 3. So, Elder James here is obviously half-brother of Jesus, seen Jesus his whole life. His brother's crucified. His life has changed. Here he is several years after looking at his beautiful church, the Lord Jesus' beautiful church, and he's looking out at him, and he sees a bunch of sheep, a bunch of people, just like himself. And he knows that we all need encouragement as we're walking this life, as we're following after the Lord Jesus, that our lives, we, we we tend to desire, we want to follow the Lord, we want to honor Him, but in reality our lives tend to go to the right or to the left. By, by nature, our hearts are prone to wander, the Scriptures teaches us. We all want to go our own way. And What is the measuring stick that we use to know what the Lord desires of us? It's His Word. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about the Word. It's profitable to straighten us out, correct us, put us on the right path, reset those broken bones. It's good for us. And here James is looking at the teachings of the Lord Jesus, no doubt in his own life in the life of those who are following him. And he's saying, hey, there's some problems going on here. And he wrote this to the dispersion, to the Jews that had been all around. He wrote this letter. He says, hey, after you listen to it, go ahead and pass it around. Let it be a chain letter. And and you guys all just take note of this because it's probably happening everywhere. You know, there's no sin that isn't common to all of us. And the issue that we'll be talking about here today is James is bringing up for the church is our, our glorious tongue. <laughs> Wonderful. James is saying in one moment we can sit here and praise the Lord with our, with our, with our mouths and the next minute we can curse man who's made it in his image. What a horrible, horrible contradiction that we all face day after day. Can we have victory over it? You know, I want to say that if James is warning us about it, we can do a whole lot better. Amen? <laughs> Until that day that we continue to train ourselves and, and to be disciples, disciplined in the Lord Jesus and to just crucify that flesh and continually to give it over to the Lord Jesus. And so as we read ahead here, I just want to, uh, you know, make it known that we're all going through this together. We're all commonly Going through these things, it's not just uh, you know one you know group of people or another. We all go through it, and so let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart as He would, and and take note of it. He's working on me this week. You think I've been Mr. Wonderful this week, Christine? Please leave the room. I was hoping she wouldn't be here today. <coughs> Serious guys, you know I just I don't want to teach on this. I don't. But here it is. It's his word. It cuts us all. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Ouch. Thank you, James. But notice he says, we who teach. He's including himself in this. He's not putting his standard on someone else that isn't given him to himself. We who teach, you will be judged more strictly. You who teach the word of God to your children. You who, who take it. And, and, and the tendency is to, to kind of you know, go, okay, well, I'm never going to do that. Well, to some degree to another, we're all called to share about the Lord Jesus, to model him in our, in our lives. Obviously, he's talking about the people in the, in the church who edify, who teach, who, who stand up, and who sit down in a Bible study and expound the Scriptures to you, who are counseling out of, the, out of the Word of God. You will be judged more strictly. And I don't like that word judged. Any of you like that word? James is reminding us that there will be a judgment. James reminds the church that one day we will stand before Christ Jesus for judgment. And for those who teach, it's a stricter judgment, obviously. To he he who has been given much is going to be required much. And I want to take a second to clarify uh, one of the doctrines in scriptures about Judgment Day. I think it's important that we recognize that there is a day when all of mankind will stand before the Lord Jesus. The Bible teaches that one day both the unbelievers and the believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if we are here in Matthew 25, let's flip over to verse 31. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, I believe that this scripture kind of gives us the best summary of what will happen on Judgment Day. Obviously, there are many scriptures, and I will talk about some of them today. You look at, you know, all the way from the prophecies of Joel and all these types of things all the way into the New Testament, Paul talks about different issues, but I want to kind of give you the heart. And I think Jesus talking here in, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, kind of sums it up for us. Starting in verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king, capital K, so to speak, trying to identify that this is the Lord, will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father, and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry? and When did we feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger invite you? And Jesus says, I'm sorry, uh, verse 38. When did we see you as stranger and invite you in or or needing clothes and clothe you, Lord Jesus? When did that happen? When did you see sick or in prison and go to visit them? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hungry, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and imprisoned and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, Lord, When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger in need of clothing or sick or in prison and did not help you? You know, hey, come on now, we didn't see you. And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I don't want to add or take away from that. That's the Lord Jesus explaining one aspect of the judgment. So, Judgment Day has two main parts, as we read from here. For the unbeliever, it's a day when they're going to be judged for the evil deeds they have done and be cast into eternal fire. It's not good. It's a reality. It's a heartbeat away. For the believer, it's a day when we will be rewarded for the good deeds and receive our inheritance. For the believer, that day is not a matter of eternal damnation. That's not for us on that day. The matter of eternal damnation was taken care of when we said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again on the third day my payment what i owe god for sin was paid through by you and you alone on the cross it is finished done deal set free saved amen, amen. period as john chapter 5:24 says says most assuredly i say to you he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And he shall not come into judgment, but has passed from life unto death. Shall not come into judgment. You have passed from life unto death. I'm sorry, death unto life. Yeah, you got to help the dyslexic pastor here. Something was theologically off. So we're not going to be judged according to eternal life at that point. But we will be judged for our deeds done in the body. Did we walk in the good works prepared for us beforehand in Christ Jesus, as Ephesians chapter, you know, chapter two, verse ten talks about? You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of works, lest anyone should boast. Amen. Saved by grace through faith. Created. Yours workmanship. Yours poema. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, the next verses, right? That he prepared for you beforehand, that you should walk in him and do it. You were prepared for a reason. You were saved for a purpose. I was saved for a purpose. We'll stand before Jesus and give an account. Did we walk in those? Were we submitting our lives to the Holy Spirit? Did we hide him in the ground, or did we invest him in people and relationships, take steps of faith? <clears throat> Did we live a life that reflected the reality of our salvation? Really, that's the heart of the book of James. If you're looking at the book of James, which is very important for all of us, remember it applies to every single one of us, is to live like Jesus. Are we living like Jesus? You know, if you say you have a, fe- uh, a faith and your life doesn't reflect it by your good works, you don't really have a faith at all, you know? It's kind of what James is saying. The proof is in the pudding. Repent and get moving. I love James. He's not going to go PC on us. You know, he's not going to package it in a way that he's just like, come on, guys, we're all in this together. Let's get going. This is the way the Lord would have us walk, this is the way we're doing it. Let's move. <clears throat> you don't need to counsel it. Just change. Do it. Stop. Start. We're going to get into this in just a second. And I'm talking to myself this morning. Believe me. You have to live like Jesus. We need to repent and, and, and change. Remember last week I talked about Revelation chapter 2. And he's speaking to that church at Ephesus. You know. Yet I hold this against you. He says. He talks about all the good things. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. He goes, Consider. In other words, remember how, from where you have fallen. Remember that. And repent. And then do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever hears, Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Those are really difficult passages of Scripture to look at. But there's a tying together of faith and works. Works do not save us. We're saved by grace through faith, but the evidence has to be there with it. It's there. It's the proof. For the one who is victorious, and I think that's where they came up with that doctrine of the perseverance of saints. I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not smart enough to get into it. Yes, we're saved by grace through faith. Amen. But we're deceived. You know, if He saved us so that we can continue to live the life that we want to live. You know, who are you living for? Who am I living for? Am I living for Lord Jesus? Is He truly the Lord? Is He the one who calls the shots in my life? Am I going to Him for commands? Am I going to him for my relationships? Am I going to him for mercy and the grace I need every day? Am I going to him for help, Lord? I stink. Or, thank you, Lord, for giving me this. What do you want to do with this, Lord? It's yours. Or is everything about how you would deal with it? I struggle with that all the time. Every relationship. When, when, when Jesus becomes Lord in, in our lives, when he really takes control, when the reality of salvation sets in, you just get a different set of goggles. You're looking at life differently. Every opportunity, every relationship, every heartbeat, every financial decision, every hurt, every trial, every success, that's all weighed in his balance and his presence. Decisions are made that would, that would please him and not me. Amen? So repent. Return to our first love and do those first works. What does that mean? If you're stuck in that self-centered way, self-centered life, you're living for you, repent. Right? Stop. Turn around. And return to your first love. Go back to Jesus and go do those first things you were doing. Remember when the Lord saved you and you were just new in your heart and what kind of things were going on there? You were talking to Him a little bit. You're inquiring, you're in his word, you're, you're praying. You are desiring fellowship with new believers. You're longing to serve. Not just in the building, but I mean, longing to serve people. Something changed inside of you. You were different. You long for fellowship with other people. And by the way, people noticed something in you, didn't they? What happened to you, Matt? Why are, why are you not cussing up a storm anymore? You know? What happened? Jesus saved me. And it just changed. As I started abiding in Him, I became a new person. And He's continually working on me. And I have a, a, an opportunity to share now. You're sharing the faith. Your faith, the Lord, just flows from your life. Return to our first love. I'll tell you what, when we deal with this issue with the tongue coming up here in just a second, that, it all hinges on that relationship. If you try to fix your tongue and you try to fix anything about yourself apart from abiding in Jesus Christ, ugh. it's just like, it's not going to work. He's the solution. The way that we were saved is the way that we continue. He's it, He's the vine. We're the branches. You got problems in your life? Grow closer to Jesus Christ. You need wisdom? Go closer to Jesus Christ. You got a horrible mouth? Go closer to Jesus Christ. He's the answer. He's it. He's that tree of life we go to. Not the knowledge of good and evil. We go to Him for everything. In Him we move and have our very being. He's our all in all. A life that reflects the reality that we are no longer our own, but we have been bought with a price, and Christ now lives in me, and I live for Him. In light of that, we should make no mistake that one day we will stand before Christ. One day and give an account. Just a couple verses on that. Second Corinthians chapter five ten says, starting in, actually in verse nine it says, so we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before, him, before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things we have done while in our body, whether good or evil. Romans chapter 2, 6 through 11. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and, Im- and immortality, he will give eternal life. You know, living like you're saved, because you are. But for those who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, for first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. What is that good work he's talking about? Receiving Jesus Christ and your Savior and living like it. Revelation, chapter 11, verse 16 through 18. The 24 elders were before the throne, and they were saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was and is to come, right? Because you have taken your great power, and it's begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. That time has come for judging the dead, and for rewarding your servant, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small. That rewarding. And for destroying those who destroy the earth. Judgment is a time for rewards for the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 3 through through 5. Paul, speaking, says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. And he goes on and says, But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. So we will stand before Him. It's, it's a reality and, and that needs to sink in. We've got to live knowing that we'll, we want to we please Him. We shouldn't be worried about Eternal life or eternal death, that was dealt with on the cross. But now we're disciples, we follow Jesus Christ, we live to please Him. Are we grieving the Holy Spirit or are we, you know, blessing the heck out of Him? (laughs) You know? So the passage of scriptures that we're reading this morning begs the question, are the words of our mouths reflecting a life that is submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? especially for teachers, obviously, because in verse 2, it says, we all stumble in many ways. Back in James. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. The word perfect here means mature. So whoever can hold their tongue is able to keep their whole body in check. That's wonderful. A mature follower of Jesus has self-control. We see that's a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Self-control isn't just, you know, Doing with your arm with your legs, it's 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 your mouth too. Self control through the spirit. You know, stopping. Controlling that beast. A mature follower of Jesus has self control. Under control of the Holy Spirit. Our tongues and our mouths, our words, are good indicators indicators whether or not we are living a life that is for Jesus or for self. What an important part of our body to have submitted to the Holy Spirit, to really just to, to really be focusing on and saying, "Lord, have control of this, how difficult this is and how powerful the words are that come, comes out of our mouth. They can, they're so powerful. Think about the words that have been spoken to you in your life that have devastated you. Think of the words in your life that have blessed you. you know? I do. I want a divorce. You know? I mean the words that just flow out of our lives, they they devastate us. They can they can move us. Wars have been fought over our mouths since time began. You know, and I mean listen to to talk radio for ten minutes. Guilty, okay. How much of that glorifies the Lord? You know, I'm really just been thinking about it. how much of it is slander. Who cares about your political view? What about the stuff that's on TV? Oh, let's pretend. Still, they're acting really. Okay have got to be careful and think through these things. You know, we are what we eat, so to speak. You know, when you sing the words in music, they become a part of you. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship, for example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. It's amazing how something so small, like we said, like a tongue, can be likened to, you know, a bit in a horse's mouth. Such a powerful creature. You know how powerful a horse is. Everyone got on and just pat, you know, slap on the side. That is muscle. Those things are powerful creatures. And yet, you put a bit in its mouth. It's going to go where you want it to go, usually. It turns it, right? Although one time I was on peanut, and uh, riding in this uh, it didn't make a difference what was in that guy's mouth. He was going home, and he wanted a carrot. So I'm sitting here on the beach, and my friend is going along the trail, and all of a sudden I turn back, and I'm going, "Whoa, peanut." You know, it didn't, it didn't work in that case, but that didn't make a difference. So, with the exception of peanut. Or a mighty ship driven by powerful winds, yet steered by a small rudder. How our tongues have the power to sink us in storms or to guide us to safe times, safe passages, you know? Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. You know, having come from the land of fires in Southern California... You know, we have wind like you have here, but the only thing is there's flames associated with it. And what happens is up in the mountains, someone will have a campfire that they left and they thought it was out. The wind blows up and hits those coals, and it ignites all this dry brush. in, in one evening, it goes all the way from the mountains all the way to the shore, just rips straight through. Such a great fire, great devastation. You know, you think of the Arizona wildfire that, that's going on right now. 500 square miles. Devastated. Walla Walla County is 1,300 square miles. That's a big area. Just gone. Out of control. All started by a little, little campfire. You know, winds that slap wires together and a spark falls to the ground. It's all over. And you just look at how... Devastating that is. You know, and even after they put out the fire, 10 days later, the heat from that is so present that winds pick up and they blow and they blow off the top layer, it's able to still light the fire. Such as our tongues, you know, the power that's in them. Such destruction before us, or such. How you could impart life to people and encourage them and direct them and change their lives. Christine, you know, and I've talked, and she said, you know, when I was younger, I just, if someone had just told me about the Lord, I I probably would have changed. No one spoke to her, no one shared. You know, what are we afraid of? Let's start giving life to people. Instead of, you know, reinforcing negative stuff that flies around, let's just encourage, let's give them scripture, let's give them love. Give them truth. Give them the gospel. Change their lives forever instead of letting the fires rage. What a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and, it sets, and itself set on fire by hell. Proverbs 18.20-21 From the fruit of of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Either way, the tongue has the power of life and death. Can corrupt our whole bodies, our whole futures. Can set us on fire. Can we tame it? You can't. You cannot tame your tongue. The way we tame our tongues is submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit, to be abiding in Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to do that work in us. can't manufacture this, friends. This is what Jesus saved us from, that now he has the power over sin in our lives to the degree that we can probably just say, Lord, help me in this. And put things in and allow him to teach us, we can grow in this and become more like Jesus day after day. And that's what we want to grow like. So, you know, as we're failing with our tongues, when we fail, we got to stop and say, This is wrong. I've, I've hurt you. I'm sorry. I've sinned to you, to the Lord. And then you put tools in your life, you put a marker. This, is, this has got to stop in my life. It's not godly. We put tools in our life. If we start memorizing scriptures, I've put a whole bunch of scriptures at the back for you. Verses about our speech. You know, just there are just some of them. May my tongue sing your word for all your commandments are righteous. You know, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. An abomination of the Lord is a lying tongue, one that causes div- divisiveness. These are things that the Lord does not want in us. And the Holy Spirit can work in us to change these things. How exciting that is. Someone who has been this could be changed by the power of God to become like Jesus. No matter what area you're struggling in, that's the hope we have. He's risen. He saved us. Not even from death, but he wanted to give us life, an abundant life, here and now and forever. That's exciting. I want it. Ask and do. Step out. Call it like it is. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, you know? I love this. Are we able to tame it? All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know, Christine and kids went to see those, uh, what are they called, honey? The horses? Uh, Lippards, somethings. <laughs> the, the white horses that do everything you want them to do. She actually saw them in, in where is it? In Vienna, yeah, the real ones, I guess. But uh, how in the world can you get horses to do all that stuff? That blows me away. Elephants to do what they want. You got a chicken plucking on a piano. Out, you know, Mozart. You got a dog singing. You know, got a dog surfing. We can't tame our own stupid tongues, though, can we? You know, that would be a YouTube clip. Listen to this guy. Whoa, <laughs> he can tame his tongue. <laughs> You know the reality of it. We could tame it. I've got fish jumping thirty feet out of the air through a flaming hoop. You know an otter playing the you know xylophone, and we we can't do this. James is going. This is crazy. We can't even tame our own tongue. (laughs) It's a restless evil. James says it's full of deadly poison. It's the contradiction of the church. It's the contradiction of the church. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and and with it we also curse human beings who have been made in God's presence presence and likeness. You know? Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It's a contradiction. It's happening. How can this be? James is pleading with his brothers and sisters. Obviously something was going on and James is he's addressing it in the church. There's supposed to be fresh water coming out, but there was bitter waters. There was supposed to be a group of people led by the Spirit of God, full of the love of Christ building each other up. Instead, you know, there's people being led by the flesh. You know, this is an area we we have to submit to the Holy Spirit. If we do not, you will be a pawn of the enemy. And I I am absolutely positive about this. In the areas that we do not have submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what they are, the enemy just walks up to you and goes, okay, you're next. Go, go cause it, Jews. Go ruin your family. Life and death is set before us. We must communicate with one another in a way that honors our Father. We have to do that. Our lives should reflect the faith that we proclaim. If you have an issue with your tongue, go back to Revelation chapter 2. Go back. Read it. Rehash that process that Jesus gives us. Recognize what's happening. Repent. Return to your first love recognize that it's true, that I have this issue going on in my life. Confess it to the Lord. Lord, this is going on in my heart and my life. It does not bring you glory. It does not bring you honor, no matter how right I am in the situation, the way I say it is wrong. It's not about my rights. It's about you, Lord Jesus, and bringing you glory and honor. Recognize it before the Lord. Repent. Stop it. Zip it. Stop. You now have the power in Christ Jesus to stop it. As our brother Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Listen, when God gives us a stop, he also gives us a start most of the time. When he gives us a stop, he gives us something to replace it with. It's awesome. Check that out. He so says, stop letting un- unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Stop it. Now stop it, you know? But he says, start speaking what is helpful to build up others according to their needs that it may benefit those who lessen. Stop cutting down people and start building them up. And he talks about this in Ephesians chapter four. He says, if you're stealing, stop stealing, get a job. And it's not just so that you have money to take care of yourself. Now he says, now give to the poor. See that? He gives you a stop and he gives you a start. Start giving to the poor. Start doing the opposite. Repenting, truly. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God forgave you. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit, right? Stop Get rid of all that bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. and every form of malice. Stop it. Start being kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. Just as, uh, just as in Christ God forgave you. Stop doing that. And start forgiving. You know, do you have bitterness in your hearts? Are you bitter. Are you Are you angry? Do you have rage? Are you a brawler? Do you want to talk badly about someone, a desire to cause them pain or distress because they've caused you that? Or just because you're mean? What if you want, you know, if you want the cure, the cure is to be kind. Start doing the opposite. Be compassionate and forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. The measure that you use, it will be used upon you, Lord Jesus says. Bitterness is removed by forgiveness. Anger. These things. There isn't a person in this room who doesn't need to work on their mouth. Captain Matt included. Chief of sinners. You know what I mean? Right here. I've got to work on it. So, if you've been letting your mouth run wild, recognize that it's a hard issue, that we're ending right now. It's a hard issue. It's something going on here. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verse 20, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside, and they defile a person. Again, recognize it. Confess it. Repent. and Start doing the things that you first did, right? Go back to your first love. Spend time in His presence. Abide in the King. Let Him minister to your soul. Let Him cleanse you. He cleanses us. He forgives us. He's he's the water that we need when we are desperately thirsty. When we're caught up in sin, he's our Savior. He always has been and he always will be. He's the thing that, he's the one that saved us when we were out there. He's the one who pulled us out of the wilderness. He saw us far away doing our own thing and he loved us. He knows you're messed up. He knows I'm messed up. He knows what we've been through and all these types of things. That doesn't make a difference. He died. He made you a new creation. Now he wants us to live like it. New set of programs. Reboot. I'm sorry. You're not that person anymore. You're now my son and daughter. Now we're going we're to learn to live like it. He restores our souls. Psalm 1914 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. That's what we live for. We live to please Him. Let's get it right, church. Start in your homes. Start with those you have offended and work it out. Let God's grace fill your lives. We only get one shot at this. It's too short. Amen? Let's pray.